Thank you, Jesus. So good to be together. So good to see you. As Max said earlier, all the faithful Joe Burgers still in town. It's good to be together and so special that we get to come together, celebrate Jesus, worship Him. Um, I want to really encourage us this morning and just say, let's be really intentional not to get caught up in the traditions of man and to really remember what we're celebrating. And uh, this is something we don't just celebrate once a year. We live this out. But man, if the world gives me an opportunity to make a big deal about the fact that Jesus came, I'm going to take it, right? And so it's a joy for us to do this, to celebrate. Um, I think one of the most beautiful things about this time of year is that families get together. There is deeper conversations, deeper fellowship, deeper connection. Uh, and what an opportunity for the gospel. What an opportunity for us to continue to preach the gospel, to advance it in our families, in our city, in the nations, um, and also for us to take a, a time in the midst of rest. I hope you're resting. Uh, a time in the midst of rest to pause, to remember, to reorientate, maybe to shift focus a little bit, to recognize where we've deviated, where our perspective has been removed off of Jesus, and to say, no, hang on, this is what my life is about, this is who I am. And uh, so as the church, these times are really beautiful opportunities to shine, amen? amen? And I don't mean shine as in Santa Claus and shiny red balls on a Christmas tree. I mean to really shine the light of who Jesus is. Uh, and so I love it, and I also love gifts. I think presents, <laughs> presents are a good, a good thing. Jesus is the greatest gift. Why not celebrate that by giving each other gifts? I like it. Um, but someone, no, there's kids in the service. I won't say that. Um, I promise for all the kids I won't be long. I'm going to go dynamite, all in, we'll preach the gospel, we're going to get excited together, um, and uh, we'll celebrate, and, and then you can go and have lunch and do your things. Um, I want to first say this before I jump into the Word. I want to say thank you to 24-7 for an incredible year. Um, I, over the last couple of weeks, I have mentioned a few times just what, what God's done, what's happened this year, and uh, one of the testimonies is just this building that we're sitting in. Um, it was a huge step of faith. And we've seen God faithfully take us into this. We were in a little farmhouse, if you don't know, and uh, where you could basically, we, we packed about 100 people in what's really seating for 60. So it was, you could really feel each other and smell each other, and it was wild. Um, but to have this space and to see what God's doing here is really special, really beautiful, and I'm so grateful. Um, we've, we felt the Lord say, step out in faith. It was absolutely terrifying. It was more than double uh, the, the rent we were paying. And uh, God did it faithfully. Ever since we moved, we've paid the bills. God's been faithful, and the church is growing, and we're just in awe of what the Lord's doing. But we've also seen healing, salvations, miracles. Um, we've also just seen, in times of prayer and worship, deep, deep, deep intercession for the nations. Uh, we've been sending teams into unreached regions of the earth. Um, and so it's been a, a big year for 24-7, and I want to just say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for serving. Um, it's so special just to do this together as a family. And I want to just remind us to make sure we never get caught up in uh, the routine of what we're doing. I, I say this often that what we're doing right now, Sunday mornings, is not the center of 24-7 church, nor is it the center of the global church. It is our largest expression, but we are the church 24-7. Amen? We're the church 24-7, 365, till Jesus comes. That's how it's going to go. Amen? Okay. Is this, okay, can everyone hear me? It feels like it's sliding around, but cool. All right. I do my best every year to try and um, preach a Christmas message, but I get really frustrated sometimes with how typical and how normal we've made the Christmas story. Um, Jesus in a manger, cute little Mary and Joseph, some dirty shepherds and some 
rich, wise guys, you know, and it's like, yeah, so beautiful, the nativity scene, and, um, and so that story really isn't cute. It's, it's actually profoundly offensive. The story that Jesus came to the earth, it, it, should, it should provoke a lot of emotion in our heart, and I want to remind us this morning to come back to that place of the reality of the gospel, because when God when you're in personal, intimate relationship with God, then the thought of him coming the way he came messes with my thoughts and my emotions a little bit. Because he's the most beautiful, worthy, incredible, amazing God, and this is how he came. And so I read the story and I go, it, it should provoke emotions in me. It's my Jesus. It's my king. It's, it's the one who saved me. It's the beautiful, radiant one that we read about in Revelation 1, and, and this is how he came. And so if we read our Bibles properly, it should, it should provoke emotion, it should stir questions in our heart, it should make us ask why. Amen? And I want to I challenge you this Christmas and just say, as you're going through this time and the nativity scene and reading through this, the story of the birth of Jesus, I really felt the Lord say, I'm inviting us, the Lord's inviting us into a place of asking the deeper questions of His heart. Amen? The deeper questions of His heart. God, why would you do it this way? What's in your heart? Why a little baby human in poverty at that time in history? Why? And so this morning, we're going to talk about that story, but we're going to come from a slightly different angle. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 1. And Holy Spirit, I, I thank you right now that this morning as we jump into your word, that you would encounter us, that you would transform us, that you would illuminate our hearts, enlighten our hearts with the word. And we just say, Jesus, we want to know you more this morning than we did yesterday and even more tomorrow. We love you. We bless you. Thank you for your word. We honor your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read from John 1. But this morning, I want to talk about the God-man. And uh, I'm asking the Lord to, to really give me language for what gripped my heart as I was preparing this because everyone's looking at the picture. Yes. <laughs> That's a, an olden day picture of that whole scene. But um, something that's, that's just gripping my heart is when I think about how Jesus came, he's the creator God. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He was that before, before there was existence, there was God. Like existence comes from him. He doesn't exist, right? Okay. And so this is that God who, when, when the Father speaks, Jesus is the very word that comes from his mouth. He is the light, and suddenly creation unfolds. That Jesus, the one who is the, the, the center of existence, everything exists in him, through him, and for him, the one who holds all things together, that Jesus is going to come and save humanity, and he does so by becoming an embryo and a fetus and a... In a, in a broken little human being. And I, I don't want to rush through that because I, I want it to mess with our head a little bit this morning. And just go, if we're not asking the question, why like that? The king of glory, who's now going to save us, he's coming, he's going to break into time, and, and he's the king. Like, he's the king of kings. He's perfection. He is righteousness, and he comes as a, a fetus. He comes as a little baby 
in a woman's womb. And so I've been wrestling with this, just saying, okay, Jesus, this is amazing, and I've heard this story so many times, but I'm asking why. I want to go into the deep parts of your heart and go, Jesus, you have a master plan, the Father's master plan, and this is, this is it. This is what you did. This is how you came. And so before we jump into it, I want to say this. The church is not meant to live by the wisdom and revelation of our carnal mind. Amen? We are not meant to live by the wisdom and revelation of our carnal mind. We need to receive the supernatural mind of Christ, right? It's supernatural. It has to be supernatural, otherwise it's not the gospel. We need to receive the mind of Christ so that by the Holy Spirit, we can have revelation of who He is and understand the dream of heaven. Amen? It's not, it is not carnal. It is not something that can be figured out here. It has to be received in your spirit. And then when you receive the mind of Christ, God begins to facilitate that dream through us, in us and through us. Amen? And so we need to make sure we understand that when we read our Bibles, when we, when we come and receive the message of the gospel, it is supernatural, it is offensive, it, is, it needs to blow our minds, it needs to offend us, because it's that wild, it's that scandalous, and it's that good. Amen. So in John chapter 1, from verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we actually saw His glory. Glory as belongs to the one and only begotten Son of the Father, the Son who is truly unique, the only one of His kind, who is full of grace and truth, absolutely free of deception. John testified about Him and, was, and had cried out, testifying officially for the record with validity and relevance, that this was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I and has priority over me, for He existed before me. For out of His fullness, the superabundance of His grace and truth we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, the unearned, undeserved favor of God and truth, came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, His essence or His divine nature at any time. The one and only begotten God, that is the unique Son, who is in the intimate presence of the Father, He has explained Him and interpreted and revealed the awesome wonder of the Father to us. This story of Jesus coming to the earth is not a cute one. It is wild. It is full of wonder. It is, it is, it should, it's, got the, it's laced with the kind of revelation and power that if we catch it, if we see it, it'll change everything about us. So first and foremost, I want to say this. If we know Jesus came to save us, right? We know that. That was the primary purpose, was He came to save us. He came to redeem us. He came to reconcile us to the Father. So we know that He came. Then we first need to make sure, in order for us to receive this message this morning, we need to make sure that we are not deceived to think that anyone else needs Jesus more than I do. Amen? It's deception to think that others need Him more than me. Why am I saying this? Because you won't receive the fullness of this message if this is not the posture of your heart. It's deception for me to think that anyone else needs Him more than I do. It's deception for me to think that anyone else needs forgiveness, mercy, grace, or unconditional love more than me. And this is my prayer for the church. Let it never be forgotten. Our desperate need for a once and for all Savior. that mean, bro? 
sorry. All good. Thank you. So if we'll posture our hearts there this morning, it changes everything. Our desperate need for a once and for all Savior. Our humanity is broken. And the danger with things that have crept in to the message of the gospel is it's centered around this message of vulnerability and we're only human and so we need to just touch each other's wounds. We need to just recognize our brokenness and just go, it's okay, Jesus sympathizes with that brokenness and it, it's okay. Absolutely, he sympathizes with it, so much so that he destroyed it. And so we have to come to this place of recognizing our humanity is broken and Jesus didn't come to fix it. Jesus didn't come to fix our humanity. In fact, I think it's in James, if we were to say we're only human, it's really to say we're, we're only sensual and demonic. So you don't want to say I'm only human. You don't want to live in that realm. It's not you. You weren't born for it. It's not your nature. It's not the way you're wired to live. So if our humanity is broken, we have to ask the question why, and it's very simple. The, the, the reason it's broken is because it is, by nature, the sinful nature. Our humanity without Christ, remember, we weren't, just, we weren't created only human. When Adam and Eve were created, they weren't just created human. They were created in the image of God. Does that make sense? And so we are not only human. <laughs> we are not trying to see the restoration of humanity. It can't be fixed, and it must be crucified. And so the only way for Jesus to conquer humanity once and for all was he had to become it. So I want you to think about this. When Jesus comes to the earth and he's put in the womb of a woman, he becomes every expression, every phase of humanity that happens to every single one of us, he becomes it. And he has to become that in order to conquer it. In order for Jesus to become the perfect sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice for your life, he had to become you. In order for you to become like Jesus, he had to become you. This isn't a message of thank you that you removed the things that I've done in my life. This is a message that you died with him. And in order for you to have died with him, he had to come and become you so that when he raised from the dead, you were raised with him. See, we don't need humanity restored. We need the God-man. And here's the beauty of, of Jesus. He comes... And, and, and Christ incarnate is 100% God, 100% man, but everything he does on the earth, he has to do it as a man in order for us to come into that. If he did it as God, we don't get to be that because it's just him. But he does it as a man, fully God, but does what he does as a man to make a way for you and me to be that. So God gives one man, the God man, so that he can have one people, a God people. It's him, it's Christ. There's nothing else. We have to start where he finished. I'm going to come back to this in a bit, but I want to just I want to share a few thoughts around the new covenant believer and what that actually means. 
But I believe if we'll lean in this morning, last chance, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the mic. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. If we'll ask the Father for the deeper things of his heart, I believe he, he, there's a longing in his heart, there's a desire in his heart for us to live in the fullness of what he paid for. And I think the fullness of what he paid for is not a people who finally got the act together. The fullness of what he paid for are those who know their need for him and have said yes to the dream of God. So I want you to think about this as we unpack these thoughts. He came as, a, as an embryo, as a fetus, as a baby, as a newborn. He came dependent and reliant on others. But he is coming to save you, and he did so as someone who's dependent and reliant on broken humanity. He came as a toddler. He came as a child. He grew up as a teenager, and finally he became a man. So I'm, I'm posturing my heart in this place. I'm saying, okay, Lord, show me why. Jesus took humanity upon himself, and he conquered it because he's the only one who can. And we need to understand this this morning and really catch a revelation of this, that if he didn't do it the way he did it, there is no hope. There was only one way to truly save us. It was to rid us of our human nature and to fill us with his. Because when Adam and Eve were created, they weren't created in human nature. They were created in his nature. They looked like him already. Human nature is man without God. And that's what we were left with after we chose the wrong tree. So Jesus crucified humanity. He conquered sin and death. He raised us to new life, birthing the new man. And the church now carries the hope of the world. And I want to just say this. <laughs> hope is a powerful thing when it's true. But right now, we live in a world where many things give us hope or are called hope, and yet it's not changing our hearts and it doesn't change the way we live. But true hope changes everything because it becomes the lens and perspective of your life that gives you a reason to do something you wouldn't have done if you didn't have hope. And so the message of the gospel is good news and it's the hope of the world. But we have to make sure that the gospel we preach actually is hope. Because my concern is that we're getting so caught up in ministry and expressions of the gospel in our lives that we, we think are the main thing, but we miss the potency of the message, which is the hope that's going to grip the heart of the world. Everybody's looking for hope, but what they're not looking for is a get your act together message. They're looking for something that will save them. They're looking for a, a message, a reality that saves them from an eternal separation from what they know they were born for. And for too long, there's been expressions and a message in the church that is not answering that question and that cry for hope. And we've carried the wrong burden. We, we think we've got to carry this burden to be holy. And Jesus never put the burden on the church. He said, I am holy, be holy as I am holy. The holiness doesn't come from you, it comes from Him. It's lived out by faith. 
And so the church has to, has to, has to get liberated and set free from this legalistic mentality of thinking that we have some sort of responsibility to deal with sin in our own lives or in others. Instead of believing that it's been dealt with and stepping into the fruit and evidence of what Christ has done. You are never going to see transformation here. You'll only see it by faith in the finished work of the cross. So Jesus came as a baby because he had to become you. And he lived this life in perfection as if you would. I want to say it like this. Jesus lived 33 years, firstly 30 years without doing anything, just being righteous. And he did it for one reason, so that your life, when God looks at you, he can say you lived a righteous life. In the New Testament, or in the New Covenant, God only inspects and measures the lamp. So when God looks at your life, He's not going, well, let me talk about that time when you were 8 years old, and then when you were 12, and then when you were 16, that was really, and then when you were 21, and then, that's not what He's doing. When He inspects, He inspects the lamp. He only measures Christ. You are not going to receive rewards in heaven based on what you got right or wrong. The rewards have nothing to do with whether you are righteous or not righteous. You are righteous in Christ. The rewards have to do with your faithfulness to the gospel. What did you do with this message of hope? Because what God is asking us to co-labor in is not helping him get his bride clean again. God is not asking believers to co-labor and partner with Jesus to help the rest of the church get their act together. He's not, he didn't ask us to partner with him to get the church's act together. He asked us to partner with him to make sure the message of hope gets to the ends of the earth. The gospel that we preach must be true hope for the world. And I want to say this, the gospel does not fix us. The gospel doesn't fix us. The gospel doesn't fix us. It saves us. And it transforms us. But the new covenant believer is not a fixed human. It's a born again, brand new creation in Christ. So we sing songs like Emmanuel, God with us, and we love that. And Christmas time comes, and it's like we, we're, we're, we're moved by the emotion of the story of Christmas, which is beautiful. Here's what I want to say. It's not just a story. It actually happened. And what it produces in you is this, a fire, a burning fire to preach the gospel. If we don't have a burning fire to preach the gospel, I guarantee you right now we don't know the story. Because when I listen to this and I, I read this and I go, okay, Jesus, I'm just picturing you, King of glory, the desire of the nations, the shepherd of the nations, Revelation 1, the burning man in the midst of the lampstands, that one. He came as a baby, as a man, took my place, lived a perfect life, was crucified, conquered humanity, conquered sin and death, went down to the depths of hell, put on a spectacle for all the principalities and spiritual forces that he's conquered the devil. He stood on his head, he beat him, Armageddon, done, finished, never have to do it again. Then he was raised to new life, took all of us with him and said, guess what? I'm no longer measuring you based on what you do right or wrong. You're in me and I'm in you. And if you'll just by faith live in this place, we're going to change the world together. That story 
That's the nativity scene. That's the one that goes, hold on. The God-man. He came, took humanity upon himself, conquered humanity, brought me into him, and made me like him. The things that matter to him now matter to me. So let me ask you a question. What matters to him? What matters to him? You're going to hear me preach this for the rest of my life because I'm, I'm really passionate about it. You're doing great. Don't worry. I, really, I bless you. I love you. <laughs> I'm not distracted. I promise. <clears throat> the church needs to get set free from the emphasis on sin. Has to do it because you will never get fired up to preach the gospel as, as long as you think you're a mess. How are you supposed to be excited and passionate to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth if you think you're a mess? Here's the thing. When you are a mess... He doesn't look at your mess. He's measuring the lamb. And if you will measure what he measures, if you will see what he sees, if you'll believe what he believes, you have no idea what kind of person you become. You become like him. Hmm. My heart is burning right now um, (laughs) for the church because... I really do believe this with all my heart that um, before Jesus returns, we are about to step into, we are witnessing the greatest awakening across the nations that we've ever seen. It's happening and it's going to happen. And can I, can I please, I say this with such uh, fear and trembling, but can we, can we be very careful where we choose to decide truth is coming from? Because we are going to see many, many ministries, all sorts of different expressions, have a lot to say. And we need to just be careful where we decide truth comes from. It has to come from here. And I'm sorry, but this Bible is absolutely filled with a message of redemption, grace, mercy, forgiveness, unconditional love. And it, 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 nowhere in this master story of the Father do I see a get your act together message. It's not there. The only time people use scriptures to do that is they take scriptures out of context. They don't finish the whole chapter or book. See, this is the story of God. And right now, I'm I'm crying out to the Lord and I'm saying, Jesus, would you make your church a people that embody the heart and ways of God? There is so much pressure that's coming on the global church to seem good, to seem impressive, to seem right. And it's a facade, and I'll tell you what it's doing. It's distracting from the Great Commission and the presence of the Lord. What we want to see is a church transformed by the message of the gospel, doing one simple thing, loving Jesus and making him known across the nations. If God wanted you to co-labor with him in anything else, he would have said it, but he doesn't say it. We co-labor with him to see the great commission fulfilled. Amen. In Romans chapter 3. Is everyone okay? If you want me to talk about camels and reindeers and (laughs) I came to the wrong place, sorry. Listen to this. Romans chapter 3 from verse 21. I'm reading out of the Amplified. But now the righteousness of God has been clearly revealed 
apart from the law. <laughs> Let me say this again. Now the righteousness of God has been clearly revealed independently and completely apart from the law, though it is actually confirmed by the law and the words and writings of the prophets. This righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all those, Jew or Gentile, who believe and trust in Him and acknowledge Him as God's Son. There is no distinction. Since all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God and are being justified, declared free of guilt of sin, made acceptable to God and granted eternal life as a gift, say gift, by His precious, undeserved grace, through the redemption, the payment for our sin, which is provided in Christ Jesus. This is in your Bible. <laughs> Whom God displayed publicly before the eyes of the world as a life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation by His blood to be received through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, which demands punishment for sin, because in his forbearance, his deliberate restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed before Jesus' crucifixion. It was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I want you to see something. Before the cross, God had to restrain himself. Do you see that? Before the cross... God had to restrain himself. After the cross, he never restrains himself. He has no reason to. Are you seeing this? This is the power of what Christ did. Before the cross, God has to restrain himself. He had every reason to absolutely annihilate humanity because of their sin. But he restrains himself. Does that not speak of grace and mercy already? When he had every reason to finish it, the wages of sin is what? Death. So death belonged to every single human. But he restrains himself and he's, he's holding himself back for one moment. And it's the most significant, powerful moment in history. It is the death and resurrection of Christ. And so when, when Christ comes, I want you to picture this. Everything that God has restrained, the full uh, punishment and wrath that sin demands that he's held back to make sure that we never experience the fullness of it. He puts it on himself. He takes himself, makes himself a baby, lives the perfect life to, to become us. And then when he's hanging on the cross, all the wrath and punishment and rage of God is poured out on who? On himself. All of it. He, he didn't, he did not hold back. So much so, and this is the most profound thing that I don't know if I'll ever fully understand. Jesus cries out. He goes, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in, in eternity, Jesus is separate from the Father. It's the first time in the Trinity that, that they've ever experienced separation from one another. And Christ cries out, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you why. It's because the full wrath of God has been put on Christ. And Jesus, is, he experienced it as a man. He experienced separation from God as a man so that you, as a man, as a woman, will never again experience separation from God. <laughs> on, the other, on this side of the cross, in the new covenant, God does not restrain himself. He doesn't have to. There is no wrath 
rage, punishment, or anger to be poured out. This is why I'm telling you, be very careful what your eschatological views are and all this stuff of the end, because I promise you, make sure it's cross or Christ-centered, cross, you know, the cross right in the middle of that eschatology, that what happened on the cross follows all the way through to the second coming of Jesus. I question our theology if when we talk about the end, then Jesus still has a whole bunch to do because he didn't do it on the cross. He either said it's finished or he didn't. Anyway. Um, I love this. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, entirely ruled out, banished. On what principle? On the principle of good works? No, on the principle of faith. For we maintain that an individual is justified by faith, distinctly apart from the works of the law. Uh, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles who were not even given the law? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed it is one and the same God who will justify the circumcised by faith, which began with Abraham, and the uncircumcised through their newly acquired faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith, making the law of no effect or overthrowing it? Certainly not. On the contrary, we confirm and establish and uphold it since it convicts us of sin, pointing to our need for salvation. (laughs) And you go, Connor, how did you turn the nativity story into a grace message? Very easily, he had to come the way he came so that he could become you, so that you could become in him. He changed everything. See, the revelation of Jesus must and will always change everything. See, often for the the Christian, I'm happy for it to change everything when it relates to me. Thank you, Jesus, that it changed everything. I deserved wrath, punishment, death, but I didn't get it. Mercy. Thank you, God. I'm so grateful. But that person who hurt me, no, I'm not too happy that it changes that. You need to deal with that. But the Father, when we have these mentalities and perspectives, He's so gracious and kind. He's never measuring our lives. He's measuring the Lamb. So let me say this to you. No matter what season you're in this morning, because He came, and because he died, and because he was raised, he only has one response to you. You come and start talking about all your stuff, and he goes, I want to talk about Jesus. He speaks the language of son. He, the Father does not speak to you any differently than he speaks to Christ. So imagine that's your belief system and your perspective on how you receive him. That God is not coming to speak to you as a sinner trying to find his way to Christ. He speaks to you as one who is in Christ, the way he speaks to his son. Yep, let it offend you. Let it offend you. He only speaks son. So we go, Jesus, but look at this and my mess and my stuff. And he goes, I am so in love with you. I'm so moved by you. I'm drawing you. I'm inviting you closer. I want you to hear my voice. I actually have things I want to say to you. I have things I want to do together in the kingdom. If you'll look at me, you'll receive everything you need. But God, what about this? What about this? But everything you need is in me. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have to understand this, that if we are new covenant believers, 
We have a different way. We have a different way. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, believers. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to those who believe in the finished work of Jesus. Therefore, believers, since we have confidence and full freedom to enter the holy place, the place where God dwells, by means of the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way, which he initiated and opened for us through the veil, as in the holy of holies, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great and wonderful priest who rules over the house of God, let us approach God with a true and sincere heart in unqualified assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. Are you hearing this? So because of that, because of this new and living way, this is what he says. And let us consider how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. Not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Isn't this insane? What does grace produce in a community. Because he came and did what he did, what it produces in us is this. We encourage one another to love and to do the works of the gospel. That's the mandate of the church. So when we as the people of God take on the perspective of God, the manner in which we live, the way in which the church lives out life is different to the world and different to the unbeliever. Can you see what's missing? What makes the church dynamic and powerful and vibrant and full of life is a new and living way. It's the way of Christ. I think it's crazy to believe that you can still be separate from God after reading what he did. I think you need more faith to believe that than you do to believe that he actually finished it. No, seriously, just think about that for a second. If he came the way he came as a baby, lived a sinless life, became the perfect sacrifice, became the prototype of what the new covenant believer will look like, died on the cross, took us all with him. Anyone who believes in him died with him, raised with him, filled with the Holy Spirit, living in the finished work of the cross, Somewhere in that, we're still measured by our sin. It's crazy. When we receive the fullness of the gospel, see, when I believe it, what I'm left with is a burning desire to be His. When I recognize my need for good news, when I recognize my need to be saved, and I realize what he's done, the direct result of that is a burning fire to preach the gospel. This story of the birth of Jesus leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus is the story, it is the reality of why these disciples and followers of Jesus laid down their lives. It's because of him. Christianity becomes lukewarm and mediocre when we don't believe what he actually did. I believe the church needs to become a hope-infused people. 
And I think the true church in this hour, what we're going to look like is when, when, when the world is freaking out and even the global church from different expressions, they're freaking out and they're, they're constantly looking at brokenness, pointing to sin, trying to figure out how to deal with it, trying to figure out what's the right protocol, what's the right way, what's the, all these different things while the world is freaking out. The true church that Jesus is building is going to arise and shine. And what's beautiful about that church is it's not any man or woman. It's not built on personalities and charisma. It is the revelation of Jesus being made known. It is, it is worship that's filling the nations. I believe we set ourselves up to get smashed by the enemy when we deviate from the simplicity, potency, and purity of the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of grace that holds us. And I said it in the beginning, if we think that others need him more than I do, we are deceived. So if I can live every day rooted and grounded in his love because I know I need him, then the fire never goes out. The fire of the gospel only goes out in our hearts when we become arrogant and self-righteous and we think that somehow we've arrived. I can almost hear, it's like, man, I just came here for a Christmas service. Like, <laughs> well, welcome to Christmas. I'm living for the day. Yes, that Jesus returns, that's beautiful, and that's going to be the most incredible thing. But I'm actually, I'm living for the day that the bride of Christ begins to become a, a holy and beautiful embodiment of the heart of God. So I come back to what I said in the beginning. I think we should ask the deeper questions of his heart. God, if this is how you chose to do it, what really matters to you? And I want to, I'll end with this and just say this to your hearts. You matter to him. And if you matter to him this much, that he would do what he did the way he did it to have you, when you receive that incredible hope and good news, you start to burn with it for others. Suddenly you look at others differently because you go, that same burning desire that God has for me, he has for you. What, I, what I'm reading, and God, you did this for me, you did it for them. And there are those on the face of the earth who don't even know who you are. This is how it starts to matter. And when we relate to one another in the body, what's beautiful is that we're free from a sin-conscious mentality. We're called to walk in encouraging one another to love and to good works, the works of the gospel. Now, does that mean it's just like, hey, do whatever you want to do, and we just let people in the church hurt each other and whatever? Of course not. But that's not because we're nailing people. That's because we're stewarding family well. But there's always a place at the table and there's always freedom and there's always purpose and there's always reconciliation. There's always forgiveness. There's always mercy and there's always grace because when did it stop for you? And this is what enables us to walk in a process of transformation together is that the emphasis is not on us. It's on Christ. Imagine the church inspects only the lamb. Measures only the lamb. The Moravians, if you don't know who the Moravians are in the 1700s, 
this community of refugees that birth a, a, a prayer meeting that lasts somewhere around 130 years, 24-7 nonstop. Started with 24 people in a room committing to one hour each. And out of this holy revival of prayer and, and, and consecration to the Lord comes the largest mission movement of its time. A community that in one place never grew more than about 300 people was responsible for sending over 3,000 missionaries to the ends of the earth. One of the most significant ones was uh, Greenland. Eskimos. There's a bunch of people in Germany, refugees, that get gripped by the heart of God and go, we're going to take this gospel to the Eskimos. <laughs> or to an island of 2,000 slaves who haven't heard the good news of the gospel, and the only way there is to sell myself into slavery. That sounds like the will of God for my life. And these people, the Moravians, this incredible community, guess what they preached? Because here's the thing, in the beginning they were sending laborers out, and the reports that were coming back was, it wasn't really working. Because they went out and they started to preach, get your act together, and, and, and you're a sinner and you're all these kinds of things. And suddenly there was a shift. They sent a group to Greenland and a report, a letter came back. Count Zinzendorf writes about it. How's that for a name? Count Zinzendorf. Uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Uh, I think it's funny. But anyway, <laughs> he gets a letter from, his, from the missionaries, the Moravian missionaries in Greenland. This is what they say. Revival's breaking out in Greenland. People are getting saved by the masses. And so he writes back and he says, tell us what you're preaching. And they say, we preach nothing but the love of our slaughtered lamb. And so he takes a letter, and he writes this letter, and he sends it out to every Moravian missionary and laborer. And he says, we will preach nothing but the love of our slaughtered lamb. Because it's the message of the gospel that will grip every human heart because it's hope. The greatest missions expressions or mission, missions movements on the earth don't come from people who decide to be missional. They come from people gripped by the gospel. It comes from people gripped by the revelation of Jesus, by the beauty, splendor, and wonder of his finished work and what he's done. A dear man of God, R.T. Kendall, he said something really significant. He said, what's going to mark the great awakening that's coming is the restoration of the purity of the gospel. And what's funny is majority of people are hearing him say that and they're going, yes, it's time for us to deal with sin and get back to the purity of what God wants. That's not what the purity of the gospel is. It's the potent message of his goodness, kindness, and grace that's going to set people free once and for all. And this is what's coming. And, and uh, John Paul Jackson, he was a, a prophetic guy a couple of years ago. He's dead now. But he, he said something profound. He said, the message that will mark the last great awakening before Jesus comes is out of the book of Romans. That's what he said. And I love that. I go, amen. Why? Because it's the gospel. It's justification by faith and faith alone. This is what's going to be preached. That's going to ignite a fire in the church to carry the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen? Jesus, he says this bold statement. He says, as the Father has commissioned and sent me, so I send you. 
So you can tie that up to your nativity scene. And the next time you read the story of the birth of Jesus, go, as the Father sent him, so he's sending me. The lowest place. The lowest place to stand in the gap for others. To introduce the world around me to the kingdom of heaven, which is filled with mercy, kindness, love, grace. And I want to I challenge you in this time of rest to go study the life of Jesus. Just go study the life of Jesus from birth all the way through until his resurrection. Here's what you're going to see. He is so kind. He is so merciful. He is, he is astoundingly gracious. Every opportunity that he had to nail people, to judge people, to bring the judgment of God, he's kind. And when he gathers the thousands and he's teaching them about the kingdom, the, the natural response of his followers is, well, teach us how to pray in this new kingdom. And it's the most profound thing that the Son of God has come to the earth as a human, and now he's going to introduce the language of this kingdom, the language of the new covenant believer, and this is what he says, Father. Now you've got to understand how that would have landed in their hearts. They had many different names for God that described his attributes and characteristics, but they had never called him Father. And Jesus comes, he says, here's the way of the kingdom. Here's the new and living way, Father. The beauty of being a father is that you will never let your children go. So as you study that, I, I, I urge you and challenge you to see that the, the new and living way of Jesus, it's the future of the church. It is what we are becoming, what we are walking into. It is what church Christianity and the kingdom is going to look like. And it is drenched and infused and filled with the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. And it must be supernatural, otherwise it is not Him. So the way we're going to see cities transformed and regions transformed is not because we suddenly mobilize a good initiative to be missional, but because we've been captivated by the hope of the gospel. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're going, well, you know, that's beautiful and I love this message, but I feel my life is so disconnected from the reality of what I'm, what I'm preaching this morning or what you're saying. Then I want to say to you, it, it, it has nothing to do with whether it's real or not. It has to do with what you are choosing to believe. The manner in which we live our lives is a direct reflection to what we have chosen to believe. I'm not talking about situation and circumstance happening to you. I'm talking about the state of your heart in the midst of it. Because you don't have control of a situation and circumstance. We live in a broken, fallen world. But you can steward your heart in faith that keeps you rooted, grounded, and established in Him where the hope of the gospel fills you. And you're filled with the fire of heaven to be who God's called you to be, no matter what. If we can learn to be faithful with this fiery, beautiful message of the gospel for our own hearts, then we're going to step into a corporate faithfulness of being obedient to seeing the Great Commission fulfilled that every tribe, tongue, and nation hears of this beautiful king who came as a baby. Are you with me? One day, I prophesied this over me, over you guys, one day, we're really going to hear this, and suddenly someone's going to stand up in the middle of service like this and go, 
I get it. Oh, my word. And we're, it's, people just, it'll be chaos. Because it changes everything. Amen. I, uh, I'm so inspired by those who allowed the message of the gospel to grip their hearts and lives and change them because what you don't see are people who became perfect. You just see people who became faithful. They still made mistakes. Many of them lived in mistakes till their final breath. But they were faithful with one simple thing, the purity of the gospel of, of Jesus, the message, the hope. Amen? I can't help myself. I'm going to end with a story. It's a Moravian story. Some of you have heard it many times, but I, I love it. In that little prayer room or that little prayer community where they're gripped by the gospel and filled with the Holy Spirit, two men with families, kids, wives, two men, hear about an island in the Caribbean that is owned by a slave owner, and there's about 2,000 slaves on this island, and they hear that the gospel has not got to this island. There are 2,000 people, slaves, dying on an island who will not hear the message of Jesus if no one goes. And so these two men are marked in the presence of God, in the, the revelation of Jesus, in a place of prayer. They're marked by this hope that they have received. And so they make this decision to leave everything they have, including their families, to give their lives. And they sell themselves into slavery. And everyone likes to quote this famous Moravian saying, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. We've written songs about it, choruses, and we sing these songs. But where it comes from is these two men that leave their family, say goodbye to their community, and on the shores of Europe, they, they hug their relatives, they get onto a ship, sell, they're in chains, they sell themselves into slavery. And as the ship is leaving the docks, they cry out to their families, to their community, standing on the shores, and this is what they cry. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Either you are crazy and you need to be in a mental institute, or you're burning with the hope of the world and you're carrying the heart of God. Now, we, we tell these stories like they're glamorous. There's no glamour. It's brutal. It's the laying down of your life that the gospel would advance. And I promise you, I promise you, it's what you were born for. It's the only thing that will satisfy our hearts and souls. And so Jesus did everything from birth to death and resurrection, everything required for you to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him. There is no reason today that you should walk out of this room separate from Him because He took separation upon Himself. We are only separate from Christ when we refuse to believe what He's done. So the hope that needs to fill your heart is you walk out of this room and you end 2023 saying, never again will I live another day where I think I'm separated from Him. In, in, in times of abundance and, and ease and things just going so well and in times of difficulty and lack and trouble, I run to the same person because I'm in Him. And it's because of that that I will live a life from glory to glory, getting brighter and brighter every day. Shining who? Christ. Not me. Christ. So the world will know why He was sent. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning?
I want you to, to think about it this way this morning and just pause in your heart and say, okay, for, for a moment right now, I'm not going to think about this as a Christmas story. I'm going to put myself in Him. And I want you to think about the reality, the, the new covenant reality right now that's possible for your life because of what He's done. That I want you to, to picture yourself and go, I actually died with Him on that cross. And when he was raised to new life, I actually was raised with him. And if I'm born again, I've received the Spirit of God. My life, it's impossible for me to be the same. And I'm praying this morning that there would be a confidence, the fire of, of the gospel, fire from heaven, would fill our hearts and lives. And we would realize that you are called to be messengers of hope, to be ministers of reconciliation. I want to ask you to lay down your thoughts. Every lofty opinion and every stronghold of the flesh that's, that tries to exalt itself above Christ. This, this morning, let's just say, Jesus, I submit that to you. And I'm asking for the mind of Christ. And then we just say, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and impart and release to us the revelation of Jesus, the finished work of the cross. Father, I pray that every person would walk out of this room this morning, not just feeling good about a Christmas service, but God, knowing that the Father is looking to the Lamb and that's how He sees me, that I've been made right with God, that my faith is in someone who has finished it. There is nothing left to be done. As I give Him my life, He can do whatever He wants to do. He's only looking for my yes. God, would you make us a people so bold and passionate about your ways, about your kingdom? Would we be a people that are leaning beyond just the story into the depths of your heart to say you loved us so much that you became us so that we could become one with you? God, I thank you that we would live in the oneness that you paid for so that the world would know why you sent Jesus. This morning, I ask that you would wash us Refresh us. Let the gospel do its work in our hearts, God. And as we receive this right now, I just want to pray over us what I felt in the worship when we were singing. I was thinking about the birth of Jesus and I, I just pictured myself in that moment. And what was happening in my heart was this burning zeal to be one who brings the good news, to be a messenger of good news, to be a messenger of hope. Because that's why he came. And so I'm asking right now, Lord, that you would release and commission this community and this house to be messengers of hope to the ends of the earth. God, I'm asking even for the young ones, the youngest to the oldest, mark us as a house to be carriers of hope, messengers of reconciliation ambassadors of heaven, fiery preachers of the gospel in everything that we do. And even now, I just know it, I know it in my heart that as we seek you, our eyes go off of ourselves and we put our eyes on you and the things that matter to you begin to matter to us. And we say, God, show us, show us the matters of your heart. We don't want to get wrapped up in the matters of man. We want to be fully captivated and taken by the matters of heaven. 
Show us, Holy Spirit. Show us, Holy Spirit. Mark us right now. Some of you are seeing people and places and, and things that God's stirring in your hearts. Some of you are feeling the Lord leading you in decisions, and it, it's different than you thought. It, it, it looks different than you thought, but you can feel it matters to Him. He loves you. And I just, I release and I take off of this house any burden or pressure to perform or to get it right. Thank you, Jesus, that you have delivered us from performance. You have delivered us from self-righteousness. You have delivered us from any attempt to be right in our own efforts. And I just, right now, I release it over every heart and every mind, the righteousness of Christ. It's ours in Him. Follow Him. Follow Him. Our Lamb has conquered and we will follow Him. Just follow the living King. Jesus, this morning, I just say thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the message of hope, of salvation, and of transformation. We lay down everything else and we take a hold of you this morning. We just say, God, we love your heart. We love your ways. We love your presence. We love your house. We want to follow you all our days. Holy Spirit, if there's anything I've said this morning that's not in your heart, I, I do pray that it would be forgotten. But Lord, that the gospel would be remembered. That the purity and potency of the finished work of Jesus would be established in every heart this morning. I love you, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We worship you. God, thank you as we end this year as a house. We say thank you for your faithfulness to us in 2023. God, that even in the difficult seasons, we've seen the hand of the Lord. And so as we, as we rest, as we pause, we just fix our gaze on you. And as we go into 2024 as a community, we can come with boldness and confidence because of the blood of Jesus. We can get on the front foot to dream with heaven, to respond to the gospel, to be messengers and carriers of hope. We love you, Jesus. We bless you and we honor you. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, we love you. Thank you for a beautiful year. As you leave today, just know that you're one with him. And uh, I know I have an expectation in my heart that what God wants to do in and through your life and in and through this community is profoundly more than anything we can imagine or think of. And so I believe that 2024 is going to be a year of greater faith than we've ever known. And the beauty is that it's a gift. You get to receive more faith to believe for the things of heaven. Nothing's impossible for God. Dream. Get your journals out while you're resting. Write. Dream. Get excited about what God's doing. Let's follow Jesus together. Bless you. We love you. We'll see you in the new year. Have a beautiful Christmas, a beautiful day, and uh, what a joy that we get to do this together. Thank you, family. Bless you guys.